Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of Learning As I Go, sponsored by British Triathlon. So many of you have already signed up to do the Sprint Triathlon with me on the 29th of July in Sunderland, and it's going to be special. But today is going to be a movie. I've had this guy on my vision board since I ever started doing this podcast. He has achieved so much playing for Newcastle United, Tottenham Hotspur, even playing for his country. But he's also one of the biggest presenters in the country right now, appearing on BBC's The One Show, Match of the Day, BT Sport, Introducing Jermaine Genius. This guy is a legend, but he's got so many different layers to him. He's a businessman, he's a family man, and he's just got so much to give. So today is going to be a special episode. I can feel it. Get ready to sit back, tune in, and listen to another life lesson with Learning As I Go. finally made it happen like I can't tell you you were one of the main reasons that I really wanted to step up series three because um obviously I met you properly at the Soho festival yeah but obviously with the same management Merlin and a couple of things that you said on that day was like really stood out to me but first of all for the listeners I've got Jermaine genius in the building today right that's right I've said it right <laughs> um obviously a superstar footballer back in the day for Newcastle Tottenham Nottingham Forest yeah you've gone on to carve out a really like successful career for yourself now in punditry the media presenting some big shows like the one show match of the day mm. um bt sport and i've got you in the building man so thank yeah you. no thank you thank you it's been a long time coming like you said um uh, it's interesting to kind of hear what you say uh, on, on what it was that i even said to be honest with you that yeah. kind of uh sparked it off so i don't do a lot of pods to be honest with you for me you've got you just got good energy mate i don't yeah. know if you know this you just have and for like when we spoke, obviously you left with something yeah. and I left with something mm. I don't, and I can't remember what it is that you said. I'll tell you exactly what it was. Well, I'd like to know, but for me, it was more of a feeling. I just remember walking away from you going, he's a good guy and he's 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 doing some good stuff. And yeah, I, I would like to kind of be a part of whatever it is that he's gonna, you know, that he wanted me to do. Nah, I appreciate it. That's, that's exactly how I felt as well, because I think in this industry, mm. it's rare for people, especially people of your, of your kind of caliber now and everything that you're doing, to give so much openness and time. So obviously I went up to you and I was like, like Jermaine, I really want to get into presenting. Yeah. Have you got any tips for me? And you were so honest and it was something that really stood out. You went, well, I really developed my skills mm. with my business. Yeah. And I went, business? I was like, I didn't even know you had a business. And I looked, I've even Googled online, there's not much on there about it. And you went, yeah, it's pretty big business. We've got like 50 members of, of staff. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? And then it kind of struck a chord with me because that's where I perfect a lot of my communication skills mm. like with business in meetings. And obviously I've got a wellness brand now where I have to speak to the community all the time. Mm. And I was just like, wow, I need to get to the bottom of this and, and kind of understand it a lot more because for me, it's like, it doesn't seem to be a part of you that you show often, like being that yeah. entrepreneur in business. So mm. I, w I really want to start with that. And it's called the Aquinas. Yeah, so it's called Aquinas Education. Okay. Um, I'm not going to lie about it. It was something that I was quite fortunate with. Um, one of the things I've always kind of like prided myself on is my friends and mm. my close friends. I've got two best friends and we've been the best, we've been best friends forever. Mm. Um, one of them's name's Vaughan and he's in the army. He just came out of the army now. And uh, my other best friend's Craig Anderson, who I started the business with. So he was in education recruitment initially mm. and he basically was doing really well. He came to me in 2008, nine. I was playing for Spurs at the time. 
And I was probably at an age where I was already starting to think post-football, do I get into properties? I'm going to be a coach. What, you know, where mm. am I going to get those levels of investment to maintain mm. post-career? And um, he just came to me with just like a business plan. He didn't even have to. He was, just, mm. you know, he was my best mate. I'd give him the money for free. Mm. But he just kind of went, listen, I've got this idea of going about this on my own, this education recruitment business. And um, from my point of view at the time, I was just thinking, great, so it's going to be work in schools. This will give me an opportunity to go back into schools, give something back, go and speak to some kids about raising their aspiration levels and kind of like being able to just look above the wall. Mm -hmm. Where I grew up, it was very much like, right, you're in this on this council estate and you stay here mm. type thing. And if you got a day to go to the town, it was like proper day out. Wow. Whereas when, with football, I was like able to kind of right, go to Birmingham then I'd you know, go somewhere else. Then I was like, oh, then I was in London. And mm. then I went to Belgium one day when I was young. And I was like, oh my God, there's, there's more to mm. what you can do. So me being able to go into the schools and do that was important because I wanted kids to, to have those kind of like moments of growth. And it's a bit like what you just said, where the, the big wins for me were going to be, if somebody comes to me in 10, 15 years time and kind of goes, you came to my school and I'll never forget what you said. And it stuck with me. And because of that, I took a couple of risks, I started a business mm. or I became a doctor or I became, whatever it may be, I wanted to have that impact. So that's initially how it started for me. And then I started to get into the business element of it and was like, this side of it, I'm really interested in. I had to develop business, how to grow it, how to, you know, be a people person as well. And, um, you know, have the ability to bring on more clients, which for us is more schools. Mm. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. I mean, my mate even sent me into a school once as a, as a TA. Like really? when we first started, because it's how we decided to grow the business. I was mm. like an England international playing for Spurs, and he um, he was trying to get this school on board. And he was like, "Jermaine, like, come in. No better way to do it. Yeah, come in, come speak to the kids." And I've turned up, and the teacher just kind of looked at me and went, "Go on, then they're yours." And I was like. I'm not a teaching so what, assistant. <laughs> so what does the business actually do? So then? the business is essentially, um, if you remember when you were younger, if there was kind of like teachers that were off sick, then you know we would replace those teachers. Uh, that's the day-to-day -day element of it. Mm. So most schools will know, for example, on a, uh, I don't know, kind like of month, two-month basis, where there's going to be gaps in their staffing, and we will fill those gaps. So they might come to us and go, look, we need an English teacher for two weeks, we need a science teacher for a month. And we will plug those gaps and charge a fee accordingly. But the majority of it is kind of like long-term based. Mm. So, you know, schools even from now will be looking into kind of like next year and the year after that and kind of looking to recruit mm. teachers for their year. And the teaching industry, obviously staffing is so short and so difficult and the, the budgets are so low that it's it's an ever go it's an ongoing puzzle that unfortunately mm. the schools are trying to solve but we are we do the best we possibly can to try and help them just little things for years we didn't charge kind of like fees initially um which a lot of companies did which mm. we knew would help the schools which would then kind of like make them come back to us but that's kind of the bolts and braces of in terms of how it's monetized yeah um you know school comes to us we provide a, a teacher there's a fee to be um, But what a great broken. business to be involved with because obviously it's a, it's a business, but you're also having such a positive yeah. impact on people's lives. And I can kind of resonate that as well because obviously with Food Thoughts, we're essentially changing people's lives through nutrition and mm. exercise and wellness. And it's almost like I call that like my purpose in life now yeah. because to find a business where you are obviously 
generating income, but mm. also changing people's lives. There's no better feeling. 100%. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar space in my life now where, you know, I remember kind of sitting back the other day and just kind of going, Jay, what makes you happy? What doesn't make you happy? Mm. I'm in a really fortunate position in my life now with regards to work and all the stuff that I'm doing and brands that I'm working with and so on and so forth. But there is, there's still a point of me that's kind of going, right, this takes up a lot of time and it takes time away from my kids. And my kids are getting to an age where I need to be around more to help guide and shape them. Mm. You know, it's all well and good me going into schools and going here and there, but actually I'm neglecting a little bit of my own home life mm. as well in doing so. So I need to start picking and choosing a little bit more uh, with regards to kind of what I'm doing. And it's a very fortunate position to be in. So when you start your own brands like you're doing now, and the journey you go on within it's relentless. it, it's relentless, but it's also, um, it's probably one of the, the biggest gifts you can have is doing something that you love and being rewarded for it mm. financially. And that mm. was life as a footballer for me. Mm. You know, when I was a footballer, you don't even think because mm. I woke up one day and was like, I want to be a professional footballer. And I put absolutely everything into that and had, you know, a God-given talent along with it. And I was being paid to play football. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a mad concept that you don't actually really take in until the day comes when you retire. Mm. But do you find with business though, do you ever feel like kind of imposter syndrome, like going from being a footballer mm. to then being in board meetings and like sometimes, and even now to this day, I mean, I'm getting to the point now where, especially with social PR, because I've been doing that business for so long mm. and I'm now working with the biggest brands in the world. I, I kind of, I don't really know how much more I could be tested and I feel really accomplished in that. But it's been times now, especially with Food Thoughts, when trying to raise investment and we're talking to big like big yeah. players where there is that level of imposter syndrome. Did you ever feel like going, going, yeah. going from football to business? Yeah, I mean, the biggest question I still get asked to this day is what are you doing here? In a room, like, I mean, definitely, like, you know, any kind of investors that are coming in, anybody that's- uh, What, they actually turn around to you and say, what are you doing here? Not so much what you're doing here, but like, what do you bring to the table? Wow. Type situation, you know, so- they are- They think you're just a face, basically. They're testing the water. Yeah. They're, they're testing it and kind of seeing how involved I've been over the years, essentially, and what I do bring to the table. I think it's a fair question. Mm. You know, they're looking at me and kind of going, um, okay, so, because for example, if I, if I sold my business tomorrow, there will be a period of time where they're going to want us to kind of like stick around for like two, three years, just to kind of smooth the process into the final sale, mm. um, which is what out. happened. Yeah. yeah, it's what happens basically. And obviously from their point of view, like you've got either Jermaine Genius from the one show, you've got Jermaine Genius, the ex-footballer. However, that person is looking away uh, across the table at me, their, mm. their minds go in this is driving me crazy a little bit because I don't get why he's here. I'm in an education recruitment business and Jermaine Genius is sat across from me he's not going to be in the office every week. Mm. So what's he doing? Do you know what I mean? So I just always kind of like, just tell him the story of kind of like my interest in the business, a bit like what we're doing here. Mm. My value to the uh, the business and kind of how I, um, I'm still very passionate about that and how much I can still drive it forward. And, um, you know, I think the minute they, they hear about my involvement and the day-to-day -day involvement, me and my best friend speak every single day. Mm. Uh, in the business, I visit the offices in London. I try to get to Nottingham as much as possible. I was in Liverpool before the World Cup, going to the office up there. Um, Birmingham, I'll be going to in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I try to get to know the staff. I try to get to know the people as, as much as I possibly can in and around my, mm. my working day. And it's important for me that that happens. But the imposter syndrome thing, 
I've had it so many times in my career and in my life that mm. I kind of know how to handle it now. Mm. But the reason why I ask it, and, and the reason why there is that sur surprise element when you tell people, because business is tough, yeah. right? It's really tough. And for you to have a successful business that you've run for over 10 years, mm. you must've gone through some serious highs, lows, like mm. there's, oh there's no way it's been placed in it because no business is like that. And that, I think that's why I automatically yeah. gave you, if I'm honest, 10 times more respect no, you would. Yeah, to go yeah, yeah. through that process as well as doing everything you've done as well and mm. keeping it almost separate and balanced. For me, it's like, you should be so proud of that because it's so difficult. I mean, yeah, like I think what you said, you've hit the nail on the head. You don't make it that long unless you've been through certain exactly. experiences. Mm. Um, and we've had almost every experience, mm. you know, we've had, uh, you know, people try to almost rob us blind and mm. people who worked for us as well. Mm. Um, I've had people that are really close to me that have betrayed me and yeah it's been very hurtful at times a lot of that side I've lost I've lost family members basically be, you know along the way mm. which has probably been one of the hardest things I've had to deal with um within the business you know because for me again nice people person trying to like bring people along with me um and you know taking people out of situations in their own lives where they weren't as fortunate bringing them in, training them, giving them a great wage, a great life, and then them to kind of like stab you in the back was quite tough at the time. That's the bit that I was trying to get to the bottom of saying it's not been easy. And oh, the no. fact that you make it look easy yeah. because you're so balanced. That's why my respect for you is on another level because to get that business to that point, mm. as well as balancing everything else that you're doing, that's my biggest problem. I always say, am I doing too much? I've got two businesses. I want to be a presenter. I want to do my podcast. I mm. want to build my personal brand. Am I doing too much? Um, my business coach is always saying, Scott, I've got many people who are spinning so many more plates than you and they do it in a really composed and controlled way. I'm like, yeah, but maybe they're different to me. Mm. So you are now probably someone from the industry who I kind of draw a parallel to. Obviously, yeah. you've achieved a lot more and you're further down the line than me, but it's someone I look up to because you managed to spin those plates in a, in a yeah. balanced way. But I ain't done it on my own. Mm. You know, I, I, I mean, have you got kids? No. I mean, my wife, for example, bloody superwoman. You know what I mean? Like I've got four kids and um, my, my first child is with my ex-partner. Um, she's 15 years old and we get her in the summer and at Christmas and, you know, we've got a great relationship. But my other three kids, they're in the house day to day mm. and they're 10, 6 and 18 months. And um, but that's another plate to spin though. Exactly. Right? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Mm. So it's the support of her, the support of my best friends, support of my family, the support of my agency. Um, Sarchi, I've got people around me that it's not like walking along a tightrope and every now and again, I'm like about to fall off mm. and they go, no, 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 they just, just, they just keep me on it as I'm going along in the direction I want to go. I nearly fall off. No, we'll support you. I've got enough of those people around me in every aspect of my life that just keep me on the straight and narrow. And if you haven't got that, you'll fall off the tightrope. Mm. You'll definitely fall off it because... I don't think there's a problem at all with having a lot of plates spinning and you kind of getting into, you know, the, the, the PR world and getting into kind of your food for thought and everything that you're doing. It's just, there's two things. At some point, you, you're you going to have to step away. What happens to it when you when you step away is, is one thing you've got to look at. And then secondly, you've got this kind of like health and well-being uh, stuff going on as well. I know for me personally... When it comes on top for me, if I'm working too much, I'm not getting enough time with my family, not getting enough time at home. If it's just work, 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 mm. I start to cave. I start to go the other way. And um, finding ways out of that 
are is something I've just had to figure out how to do, which mm. are training, yoga, going on walks mm. with my dog, playing golf. Mm. These are pillars in my yeah, life yeah, yeah. that are luxuries, but mm. you know, tonight I'll go and do like, I'm here doing this now, I'll go and do a match a day. I won't get home till like, I left the house at 6.30. I won't get home till three in the morning. Wow. And that's pretty standard weekend sometimes mm. for me. So you've got to balance it. You don't need to beat yourself up about how many things you're doing. Yeah. Just try and get as many people around you to help you. Well, exactly. I've got a big team in, in this room today. Yeah. Um, and I'm all about investing into my teams in order to allow me to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, because I don't think I'll be able to get to that point otherwise. But let's talk about obviously your childhood then, because mm. obviously I feel from what I've read and heard that some of your experiences through your childhood have kind of led you to want to have that kind of impact that you're having now on these kids in terms mm. of you were brought up in Nottingham. Yeah. What was it like growing up? So I, I grew up in a predominantly like white area right. as a mixed race kid. My dad was black, uh, is black, my mum is white. The majority of my family are from kind of like black areas in Nottingham, mm. uh, a place called St Anne's, rough area again. So my time was always split between kind of like going to St Anne's with my aunties and my cousins and then being back at home with my mum and my dad in, in, in Clifton. Um, Clifton had so many benefits to me as a young kid. Mm. Space, space everywhere. So kind of when you went to St. Anne's and it was inner city, concrete everywhere, mm. tiniest patch of grass to have a game of football, one pitch that might be full of people, older kids that you can't go. Where I lived, it was rough, but fields galore, mm. like pitches everywhere. And my mum was very understanding that she was raising a young man on her own. It was a pretty tough upbringing um, with regards to finances. There was no money in the house whatsoever, but there was like, a, I was a talent, a very young, talented footballer. And I had a, a little tiny moment in time where it, it could have easily gone the other way with regards to football, not because of anything kind of like bad or anything, but just woke up and hated it one day, like a lot of footballers do. It becomes a little bit too really? much. Why is that? It just becomes too much at one I mean, for example, I think what it is, right, there's this little transition from playing football on the street, playing in your local team, playing on, and then playing for like, I don't know, like, uh, your, your, your city, and then playing for your club, which was Nottingham Forest for me. And everything up to that point is like fun. You're on the street, fun. Local team, fun. And, and then, yeah, and then all of a sudden you start getting judged and it's a bit more difficult. It's a bit more like, you know, you'd finish a game and you're getting marked and coaches are, writing down things and you're going to England trials. And then I remember being sat in the house, like waiting for letters to land through the door to see if I'd been picked again. It'd be like, oh yeah, I did this time. Then sometimes a letter wouldn't even arrive. There wouldn't be a phone call to say, oh, not this time. So it was, it, I think that element of it started to ruin it for me. I was just a bit like this, this constant pressure and this constant feeling I don't like. But then that's where my dad, my dad was quite big for me as a kid. My, like he was the one that was, he had me in tears on a daily basis, like football-wise. I'd score like a hat-trick and he'd be like, no, you missed that. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. Friday nights would be kind of spent in the kitchen with just boots everywhere. His boots, my boots, bucket of water. Just had to clean all his boots up, clean my boots. Right. I, I used to have to take out all of his studs, line it with Vaseline and then screw them back in and then polish them have them ready for him on a Saturday morning, have mine ready for Saturday. These were all life lessons that he was giving me as a young kid as to kind of what's to come and toughening me up basically. And thank God he did because 
That's so weird. When you were talking about it, then I thought it was going to be something that you kind of didn't um, like. Didn't like, yeah. But Loved it's something it. that you respected, yeah. Respected highly. Wow. Uh, something that um, I think at times with regards to kind of parenting is quite frowned upon. Um, but if he was a parent that had me downstairs in the kitchen, just as, a, as an example, giving me maths books and science books and forcing me to read, people listening or watching wouldn't have an issue with that. Because from an academic point of view, people don't, they're not too fussed about pressure on kids from an academic point of view. Mm. Yeah, force your kid to be a doctor, force your kid to go and uh, you know, be a scientist or whatever it may be. But when it comes to sport, it's a bit, oh, you're a pushy parent. You're a pushy parent. Mm. I mean, my, yeah, my dad pushed me to be a footballer. Thank God. Mm. Thank God he did because I loved it. And he built me in a certain way that um, helped me along the way. Now, he left when I was like eight but we maintained our relationship. So I, I had like two layers of like building towards myself as a kid. One was that was his discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, you turn up on time, you do this, you do that. And kind of the cleaning of the boots and you turn up ready to play. And then when he left, I just kind of like developed a bit of a, um, I, I call it like an FU type attitude, like, which just made me just grow up a little bit and kind of, I became, I'm probably older than my years, um, mm. bit too, bit too early. If I'm totally honest with you, but because of the fire in my belly with regards to wanting to show him that I didn't need him to make it as a professional footballer, it kind of kicked me on even more. And I've got a decent relationship with my dad. You know, mm. this is not me here saying I don't like my dad in any way, shape, or form. I'm grateful for what he did for me as a kid. He decided to kind of like leave, and his daughter. That, that's so weird because my dad. Um left us for six years around the same age. Yeah. And, and he, was on, he was still in Manchester. He was on yeah, the yeah. road somewhere. I was like, and as a kid, we were always thinking, where is he? Always mm. like searching for him. Why does he not want to be around us? Yeah. And as we got older, we obviously recreated that relationship. We became like our best friend again. But deep down as kids, we always said to him, dad, why though? Mm. Like, we had no explanation. And it always came back to my relationship. I think now we know he was broken hearted over my mom and he just couldn't be around it. But mm. still, man, like, like especially for my brothers and now we've got kids they can't even comprehend no. why he would be in the same city and not see us yeah it, it makes no sense to me mm. uh, I, I, I can't comprehend or answer for your daddy love his own reasons mm. obviously but I get why your brothers who've got kids would say that but mm. like for me personally my dad wasn't like that though my dad um, when he was in the city I saw him every weekend mm. he picked me up to go watch games and stuff like that it's only because he moved to America that our relationship right. from a day to day basis kind of broke down and but again, it was another layer that I think I needed. It was another layer of toughening that I felt like I, I needed to make it as a pro. There was this like innate thing that was inside me that was like, I'm gonna prove to him that, you know, he might be gone, but I'm gonna show him that he's missing out. Mm. I remember just being at like 14, 15, about 15 years old, I just went like that. This, this is all I want in my life. And Mates are drinking, mates are going out. I'm like, go, I'm, I'm a good footballer. That's, that's all I care about. That takes discipline though as a young lad to it, pull away from that social element. It didn't interest me. Really? It didn't interest me. For, for years, I didn't drink. Like I grew up in a house, right? My mum loved the brandy. My dad loved the drink. My mum smoked. I used to hate it. I used to come down in the morning to like clouds of smoke and be like, mum, what are you smoking for? Like, and she'd just be like, oh, okay, yeah, open the windows. And then, and then she'd go through like a year of not smoking and she stopped smoking because I begged her to stop. Mm. My mum was amazing, do you know what I mean? Mm. But uh, there was enough of things around me where I just saw so many bad experiences with, with kind of like alcohol and this, that and the other, that for years I was like, I'm, I don't fancy mm. a diamond white, mate. I'm all right, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm all good. And I, um, 
Yeah, and then when I became uh, when, when I basically went so, onto the route to be a footballer, that was so you got your it. you got your debut for Nottingham Forest at the age of seventeen. Yeah, and then you were sold to Newcastle. Don't quote me on this <laughs> for five million. Yeah, and you were the second most expensive third. teenager. The third. Yeah, it was, Rob, it, Robbie Keane was the first. Was he? Or no, Ronaldo. Oh really? Ronaldo went from PSV to uh, Barcelona. Uh, under Bobby Robson. Wow, okay. Then it was Kino who went to Inter Milan and then I was next. So I'm yeah. just trying to comprehend this, right? So you're an 18-year-old lad. You've just been bought for five million quid. Yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> guessing your salary was through the roof. Like, how how do you deal with that? Like, because you're living like, yeah. this is the question I always have for football because it's weird now because as you get older, especially in the circles I mix in, you come across more footballers and you like, and I think the more, a little bit more accessible than you probably were back in the day. Definitely, I remember yeah, like, yeah. as I grew up in like the, like the class of 92 area, like mm. obviously looking up to United and Gary Neville and Beckham, mm. and you couldn't get near those guys back then and everything else. And it was always like a mystery and like these guys live this life and everything else, but you, you've you been through that and mm. in, in the prime time. How did you stay grounded? Friends again, mm. you know, I think, um, I mean, when I made that move to Newcastle, I mean, it was crazy. I remember getting into the hotel at Newcastle and um, turning on channels and it was just like, it was just me, me, me on every single channel that I, t I turned to. I walked into my hotel room and I mean, like a wall like this behind me, Nike had sent boxes from floor to ceiling of trainers, boots, sure. flip-flops, clothes, just boxes of just... just Bet your mates were buzzing. <laughs> I, I hadn't even signed for Nike at that particular point because my previous coach didn't allow us to have um, contracts with, right. uh, with with brands. So Nike was Nike's way of going. They knew I wanted to be with them and they were like, mm. You're gonna, you're coming, type thing. So, and that's one of the biggest brands in the world. What yeah, is the It was mental. It was, it was, it was honestly, it was hard to comprehend. But again, I did was you a, enjoy it at the time? I was a very mature youngster, mm. and I liked the pressure. I was at a great football club in Newcastle, and a young team that was fresh with someone like. And Bobby Robson was just like, he was like a dad in a weird way. He would just, he'd just do simple things. He knew that. Like for me personally in, New in Newcastle, like culturally, it was going to be a bit of a shock. You know, there wasn't many black people around. Mm. There, wasn't, there wasn't even anywhere to get my hair cut. There was no, at that particular mm. time, there wasn't like a, a black barbershop wow. of any sort in Newcastle. So um, I used to go to Leeds or I'd come back to Nottingham like once a week just to get my hair cut even, mm. which, you know, wasn't an issue. It was just, you know, culturally was different for mm. me. So um, we'd have games and he'd just be like, look, you know, turn up for me on Saturday and then I don't want to see you till next Wednesday type stuff and go home, go spend time with your family and all that. And he was just great like that. But if I'm totally honest, I love the city. Mm. I mean, you're 18 years old living in Newcastle. I've heard it's you a crazy have a good time. I've not, not had a night out there, but I've heard it's crazy. It's, you know what it, look, they're amazing people. If I'm totally honest, they are an amazing Simpson, group of people. Danny Simpson was on a podcast recently and he obviously yeah. said it's the best city ever. It, they're just so friendly and mm. so nice. And there's something that you miss as a footballer. And I'll never forget this um, because, you know, when I went to play for Tottenham, I had different experiences. But London is just such a beast that, you know, you can have a massive game on in mm. London and half the place don't even know. Mm. In Newcastle, you cross that time bridge, there's only one thing going on on a Saturday afternoon. In really? everybody's house, on every street, it's just black and white. That is it. There's nothing else that is on, any, on, on anybody else's Full mind. city takeover. It is a takeover mm. of football and it's like a religion. And 
you step into that stadium on a Saturday. And for me personally, like being 18 years old, I mean, stepping onto that pitch and them singing your name and screaming. And we were in the Champions League and it's great to see them back there now. It was, it was mental. It was absolutely it's just mental. every young lad's dream. It like, is, it is. And even now, yeah. like, even my brothers, even though they're not footballers or ever been good at football, everybody's going to try and make their kid at least <laughs> have a go at trying to be a You're footballer. That experience, right? isn't you? I know. So I don't mind to be a golfer, so I can travel oh, around, really? around the world playing. But in terms of like being in that stadium then and feeling that atmosphere, when you've scored a goal, like, yeah. what, what is that feeling like? You know what? It was the, that, those side of, the, the side of things that, with that were amazing, don't get me wrong. But for me, I was a bit like, you know what you're saying about like, the class of 92? Mm. I was like, my first game, for example, was Sunderland away. Mm. It's the derby up there. You know, it's like my new Liverpool, basically. It's massive. That was my debut for Newcastle. And I remember stepping on the pitch and I was stepping off the coach, coins flying by my head. And I was mm. like, geez, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> Can't wait. Get me out of there. Yeah. Won the game 1-0. Second game, Arsenal. And... Uh, I'm looking, I'm like, I'm in a tunnel. It's like Vieira, Perez, you know, like Henri. And I'm like, this wow. is nuts. I was literally watching these guys two minutes ago. Next game, Anfield, Liverpool away. Um, they'd done us 3-0 actually. I'm about to go and work with Danny Murphy. He scored two and not one round me that night no. and never lets me forget about it either, <laughs> by the way. But it was like, I remember being at Anfield, coming out onto the uh, pitch and there was a blackout. Like the lights went out and you stood there and everyone, they were singing, you'll never walk alone. And I was just... It, it was like a it was like a fairy tale for, for God knows how long it was it mm. was like it was more those moments of you know looking at Roy Keane and going oh, mate you're a forest legend I can't wait to play against you do you know what I mean and like just having those experiences as uh, a young footballer but I was fearless I was fearless mm. there was not one I, mean, I remember going to the Stadio della Alpi and against Juventus. They had Davids, Nedved in midfield. They came to St. James's Park, beat them one 0 and I was just like, oh, "This is nothing to me." Just I, I, even just the I names can, you're reeling off, yeah. and, and like, I can't even compare. It's, it's like what when you say it, it's like playing FIFA for me. I just want to say a massive thank you to British Triathlon for sponsoring this podcast, and I also want to say a massive thank you to you, every single one of you who have signed up to take on the Sprint Triathlon with me in Sunderland in July. This is going to be a serious challenge, but it's going to be a good one. I've not swam in years. I've never been on a road bike. I do a little bit of running, but trust me, I'm coming well out of my comfort zone. So if you are feeling a little bit nervous, it's completely normal. And I haven't even fully started training yet because I've had a little injury, so it's not too late to sign up. We've got plenty of time. So please don't miss out on this opportunity. Bring yourself out of your comfort zone and make the most of my discount code, Learning25, to get yourself signed up to the race. And the link is in the episode notes. But if you're watching this and you're listening, this is your sign. Try something new, come out of your comfort zone and let's smash this race together. Being a footballer mm. and being on TV, outside politics, they're probably one of the most like judged yeah. kind of career paths. Oh, yeah. And obviously being a footballer, one minute you can be loved, one minute you can be hated. Talk to me about some of the low moments. Were, you, were there moments where the fans would turn against you? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I went to Tottenham was a strange time for me. Mm. Um, things didn't work out at Newcastle. They'd sat Bobby Robson. I could feel things not going in the right direction, and I was desperate to go to the World Cup in 2006. I just wanted, I just wanted the experience of going to the World Cup, um, you know, for England. And I made the decision to leave. Um, it was at the time all the talk was about me going to Arsenal, and I don't know if this played a part in the whole situation, but. My first game for Spurs was against Liverpool and I'd just signed. And me and Gregor Raziak, who was at Derby, signed at the same time. 
And usually when new signings arrive, it's like in our new signing number, I was 28 at the time, would be like number 28, Jermaine, and the whole place would go mental. And I, I think Raziak was wearing number nine and they'd gone through the team and starting up front, number nine, Raziak. He was like, hey. And it got to me, and half the stadium was booing. Ooh. Hadn't kicked a ball for him. I just heard like, I mean, genius. And there was a couple going, Ooh. and I thought, <laughs> instantly, I was pissed off. Mm. I was just like, this, they, they don't want me here. I've just signed for you as a brand new player and they don't even want me here. Why do you think that was? I think I had a good relationship with Ashley Cole. Me and Ash were good mates at the time. And I went on his stag do after the World Cup and, uh, or just before uh, the World Cup and stuff. I don't know whether there were some pictures of us in the press. He was playing for Arsenal. I just signed for Tottenham. There was talk about me going. I think it was all linked around me going to Arsenal. Mm. It didn't seem warranted at that particular time. I struggled for about five months. Like, just, I just couldn't get my head around it. I was just, I, it hit me like I'd gone from young player of the year at Newcastle, you know, playing for England at 19. Okay, it didn't go great, but we're still finishing fifth and sixth. But I just thought, get out. To come into a club that I thought they're on the way up. I looked around, Carrick, Defoe, Robbie Keane, um, Dawson. You know, they, they had a few in there that I was going, we can build some here, Ledley King. Do you know what I mean? Obviously. And then all of a sudden it just, um, that start rocked me like you wouldn't believe. Is there a part of you quite similar to me where you like to be liked, there's a people pleasing element of me as well where yeah. I think that comes back from like when I used to be a nightclub promoter I did, was there for like pretty much 10 years. It was my job for everybody to love me so they would come to my events and everything else. And it seems like, again, you were the poster boy from mm. a young age growing up. And even now I think like you're a very well liked guy and everything seems quite, I wouldn't say, I, wouldn't, I think you're a bit like me, like not necessarily being too controversial. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like no, in no, terms I like, no, I don't. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not like that. It's not really in my, in my character where... Do you feel like that's why it rocked you because you like to be liked? You know what it is? Over the years, that's changed mm. with me. I think when I was playing is when it started to change. I think initially I was like, I want to be liked. And then I was started to be like, I don't care. All, the only people I want to like me are my teammates. And the minute I turned that switch on, things changed me a little bit because all I wanted was the respect of my teammates. So in that dressing room, if I could look in everyone's eyes and I, and I had the respect of them, it helped me perform. Mm. And I was like, that's all I need. That lot in this stadium, whether it's my fans or their fans, couldn't care less. They'll get on board eventually. And I'm a bit like that now. It was like the other day, Gary Neville out of nowhere, just random tweet on Twitter. Just like- I saw this. Yeah, it was just like, um, I'm talking about my team and how I feel about my team. Mm -hmm. The same way that he talks about his team nonstop, right? Mm -hmm. Because he knows them. Then out of the blue, I'm, I'm just getting messages galore <laughs> from my mates. People are sending oh, like videos. Are oh, you going to take that from Gene? <laughs> I'm like, here we go. What's he done? Then um, it's on the mail online. What did he say? He said something along the lines of, it's interesting to see ex-Spurs players saying they can't watch this team anymore when... For years, they never kicked a ball in the Champions League, but Spurs are in fourth. Perspective, something like along those lines. They're above Chelsea and they're above Liverpool. Perspective. I mean, there are so many things you can pick out of that. Chelsea and Liverpool are having the worst seasons they've had in their life. Mm. So it's a bit strange that he didn't decide to say, oh, they're above Brentford and Brighton. He knows what's going to cause more traction. So he's been mm. very smart with that. And then also, I mean, I've played in Champions League for Tottenham. You know, mm. so I'm sat there going... 
they, I don't even really want to respond to this because I'm not. I'm never really been about a Twitter beef. I don't. Mm. I don't really go on Twitter anyway. Every now and again, I like to just like mm. speak about football. But because he said something, I got. I got to respond now. Mm. And you know, I don't really want to, Gary. But here mm. we go. So I could have gone down so many different roads. And I think a bit like what you're saying, the controversial stuff. I can't really be asked with it. If I'm totally honest with you. But if it comes your way, you'll. If deal it comes with my it. way, I'll deal with it. How mm. I need to deal with it. But, and I could have gone down so many different roads with him, but I decided, how do I actually feel about him? I don't mind Gary. I don't mind him. Um, I don't mind him. No, I don't mind him. <laughs> I don't mind him. Like, yeah. I, I, like from a footballing perspective, I think he's sound. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I listen to him, even from a, like a co-commentary point of view, you know, if I'm totally honest, he's one of the people that um, I listen to respect early doors opinion, respect yeah. and kind of go, right, let me, Maybe I can use some of that stuff in what I do actually. Mm. And some of the detail he goes into, I think he's one of the best in the business at it. Mm. But like right now, just got an opinion about everything. Mm. And it's just, it, it, there's just no need for that particular comment when you've got like an ex Spurs player venting his opinion about how he feels about his team. But then that's what links back to the fact that that's almost, from the outside looking in, that's Gary's almost persona he wants to be the controversial guy he has yeah. been the guy who's been hated a lot of the time from yeah, yeah, other yeah. football fans whereas you you've been the guy that people love and adhere to and everything else so it's just I, the reason why I asked the question and, and I actually listened to um, Drake believe it or not on um, a podcast recently and he said I've, I've given up trying to be universally loved yeah. and liked when you get to a certain level of success it's don't impossible yeah. and something you just said then about when you get to the point where you just don't care mm. There's power I'm, in it. Yeah, it's, there's power in it. And I'm at the point where I'm just sometimes trying to keep everybody happy, trying to reply to everybody's WhatsApp, everybody's Instagram mm. message, DM. And you can't do that when you're spinning all these places trying to get to a certain level. You can't, no. So it's kind of... You know what the big things that gave me those tools? Uh, co-commentary. There is no harder job to do in football than co-commentary. And there is no job that is hated more by the public than the person that is talking <laughs> over the game. I'll tell you that right now. And I've done the biggest games in football. I've done Champions League finals. I have done World Cup finals. I've done FA Cup finals. And I've done the England Euro final at Wembley on BBC. You know, we're getting 20 odd million listeners uh, every time we do wow. it. Wow. And there is, you will not get <laughs> any more hatred on any other kind of like um, level of punditry that you do. It is the highest amount. And I had different moments throughout it all. So I remember through the Euros, I was just reading it too much and it started to throw me a little bit. And, and then on top of that, I was like replying to people and getting angry and being a bit like, you know, you shut up and what do you know mm. and this and the other. And I thought, what are you doing? What are you doing? Mm. Like that is not who you are. Get a grip of yourself. And I deleted it. Mm. I deleted Twitter for the whole of the Euros. Mm. And I was like, just get rid of it. Do you, you, you have got confidence in what you do. Do you? Mm. And I went through that process and I was, I, I was fine. And, What's weird is you'll find sometimes when you engage with these characters, how quickly they back down and how it's just purely and simply an emotional decision at that particular time. Mm. Like their team's not doing well. Who's the person I can put this hate upon? <laughs> Jermaine Genius is doing commentary and I hate him. Yeah. Wallop. And that is all it takes sometimes. But it, it gets you to a place eventually where you just don't care. You just mm. kind of go, I know I'm good. I know what I'm good at and... Also, I've met enough people along the way um, in the game, who players- Who have validated you. Correct. Yeah. Players, coaches, managers who have gone, 
I like how you do it because you're fair, you're detailed, you know what you're talking. And that, that's all I care about. Mm. I would rather have one player, two managers come and say that to me than have 100,000 people in the stadium say they love me because I, I, their, their opinion is not what I need. Mm. If I'm totally honest with you. I want them to enjoy the game. I want them to enjoy um, listening to what I'm saying. But in terms of what I'm looking for and it, it, when things can rock me and hit me, it would be somebody within the game that would do it. No, I get that. That strike a chord. From one of your peers. Yeah. So in terms of like your career then, obviously it ended pretty abruptly, right? At the mm. age of... Well, I was 30. I think I was 31 actually. I was 31 when it happened. Yeah. And that was in an injury, right? Yeah, I did my cruise shirt in my knee. It, um, it was a freak accident. I was in training, no one near me. Just pushed off. I just felt this, heard this click and I just felt like almost like two of my bones coming together and it, like my knee just caved in. But I was just like a bit of shock, jumped up. And because I could like walk off and stuff, I thought, oh, maybe I've just, you know, tweaked it, whatever. I had a shower that day. They sent me for a scan. I went to watch the game. Um, the doc, I'll never forget being sat on the like uh, treatment table. And they bait, you put your knee up like this and they, they, they pull it forward. And they're, all they're doing is seeing if it's still connected, essentially, to mm. where it should be connected. And he pulled it. And I could tell it it came out a bit further than it should do, mm. basically. And I see, you know, like when somebody's like looking at you doing a test and then it, it happens and they like, kind of like look away. Oh, shit. And I was like, here we go. So try to remain positive. I mean, he knew what was coming. In the car on the way home, he just went, Jermaine, you've done everything in your knee here. Like cruciate's gone, lateral ligament damage, bone damage, the lot. Uh, and I was like, what am I looking at? And he was just like, and I, I had no contract at the time either. My contract had ran out. So I didn't even have that kind of like financial Stability, buffer yeah. of at least I've got, I'm going to be getting paid for the next mm. year and a half, two years. Um, he was like, you're looking at 12 months basically. And then you're going to see where you're at. And I, I just quickly realized um, as much as I tried to come back, it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't. I, I, Why I, though? Why is that? It's just because... No, just the, the the physical element of right. it. So you lift a lot of weights, basically, to kind of get the, the quads bigger, to protect your knee. And I think like two or three times in doing so, I kind of like cracked my kneecap. Um, and all it came down to eventually was like bone density, I think. I think a surgeon basically said, if you went like, I don't know, sat in, a, sat in your bed for three years, and then got up, you might just break your ankle mm. because your bones have just lost all that density that they need to do what they do day to day. And he said, that's all that's happened in your knee. He's like, everything else is fine. The replacement's great. He's like, in five, six years time, you'll be running around and lifting weights and you'll be sound. Mm. But for your career in the next two, three years, it's not going to work. You're going to have to call it a day. So for someone who's been defined as a footballer, not just from a career point of view, but from being a young kid, mm. how do you deal with that and what kind of coping mechanisms did you bring to the table in order to kind of get you through the next phase of life because obviously that's all you've ever known football yeah. right turn to a few things if I'm totally honest with you again family was my first thing I turned to because the, the big thing for me is I felt like I was just worthless in the house you know I'd gone from being Jermaine Genius the footballer you know walking through the door every day with your chest out to nothing mm. what, what have I got to do today babe Nothing. You, you, oh, I'm not. I'm not training. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm, I am literally. I'm just like that flatmate that sits around the house now. That's what I felt. I felt worthless, and I started to try and figure out ways to make myself. I suppose a bit, you know, for my wife to look at me in a proud way again. 
even though she didn't need it, she like was the, the, the house. A little bit. She yeah. was the first one that came to me and was like, you know, I'll never forget. She put her hand on my shoulder and she went, "We're going to be fine. No matter what, we're going to be fine." And the anxiety kind of just came down like a notch from that point. And I was like, right, what do I do from here? I just started really simple. When, when people talk about that kind of like men's mental health and or just mental health in general, and where do you go and what do you do with it? For me, it was, I started to cook for the kids. Found, I found my worth really. So I'd mm. take the kids to the nursery, I'd pick them up, I'd cook for them. Then I'd go to the gym for a day. I was like, oh, there's, there's a day complete. Day two, I'll go to the gym again. And before I know it, I'm going to the gym five days a week, I'm cooking, I'm starting to learn how to cook and I've found my worth in the house mm. now. I'm okay, right, let's go again. And then the second part of that was, um, I met some really good people random people as well, like um, Dexter Blackstock, who I played football with at Forest in the latter stages of my career. Me and him hit it off, and I'll never forget, he sat me down one day when I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And he went, you're Jermaine Genus. What do you mean you don't know what you're gonna do? And he was like, watch this. And he picked up his phone. <laughs> I'll never forget it, I swear, he picked up his phone. He's like, hello. And he's like, yo, is this so-and-so um, so at BT Sport? Yeah, I've got uh, Jermaine. Like, but he booked my first gig I ever had at BT Sport. I think it was against, it was a QPR against, might have been Spurs. No, because Rio was playing. No, Rio might have been playing for QPR. I can't remember. But anyway, he booked my first gig. And he went, that's how easy it is for you to get out there and make money and get a job and do whatever. And I was just like, damn, that is mad. And I remember, and I spent a lot of time with him. And he's an interesting character, Dexter. And he's in business. You know, he's, mm. he's got businesses of his own. And um, we were doing different things mm. together. We were going to church together. You know, I turned to faith quite a bit as mm. well. And was trying to just like do some soul searching in terms of finding some peace in what I'd lost. And yeah, I, you know, I spoke to some people that I met at the church who gave me some guidance as well. I spoke to Dex, I spoke to my wife, I spoke to my parents, my best friends. I just kind of really brought it, brought it right mm. back down to the basics mm. as to kind of like, where do I go from here? But this just reaffirms how much of a solid, balanced person you are because you just talked about turning to good people, yeah. um, your family, the gym, mm. faith. Yeah. And then you've got a lot of ex-footballers who turn to drink and mm. gambling and lose everything overnight and everything else. Like, why do you think there are those kind of contrasts in yeah. the way that people deal with things? I think... You know, certain people are drawn to things like drink and mm. gambling and drugs and stuff. You know, I've never been drawn to it. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded and experienced now. I'm an adult to experience different things in life, but I'm not drawn to these things. Mm. I think I'm quite drawn to challenges and growth and kind of um, pressure and mm. putting myself in situations that are just not nice situations Oof. in a weird way. It's like, it's such a like cliche thing that you hear on all these kind of like pods, but everything I've ever done in my life since my career finished as a footballer, that has been, I mean, I'm almost been on the phone to Saatchi going, I'm not doing that. And they're going, just try it, just try it. And then I've done some digging and gone, right, let's do it. And everything, even the bad experiences, I come out of it as a different person. And, I've, and then all it's like, you just get a bit taller, a bit taller, a bit taller. I mean, I went on question time. Like, what was I doing? Like, I should not have been on question time, but I just, I was developing an interest in politics. I was listening to like LBC every day. And all of a sudden you think, oh, what is going on here in this country? You start to get a bit like that. Do you know what I mean? And then next thing I'm on question time and I'm like, 
what am I doing here? This is, I'm where am I depth here? You know, you talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> I had some serious imposter syndrome that day, but came out. I mean, I was on the front page of the paper the next day. It was like genus uh, promotes 50, 50p tax. And my mates are ringing me going, what are you doing? And I was just like, oh, and then it vanished. That was it. It was one day of just like, like anxiety and angry, like, like that feeling. And then it went and I was like, mm. I was all right. And you know what? doesn't matter. And you know what? It's interesting because we talk about anxiety and stuff like that. And, and I felt a little bit anxious coming in here today. And I always do with my podcast, but with you in particular, mm. because it's one that I've been really looking forward to. And I was like, is this anxiety or is it excitement? And I need yeah. to channel it in a different way. This is what I love doing. I woke up this morning feeling a bit overwhelmed again. I went, wait a second, Scott. You're going to do what you love doing. Yeah, yeah. If you don't enjoy this moment, yeah. then what moments are you going to enjoy in life? And I think, don't be wrong, you are coming out of your comfort zone because obviously I'm at the start of my presenting career, so to speak. Mm. And then I know I'm learning all the time, but you get strong every time you do it. But sometimes one thing I really admire about you is when you are presenting big shows like The One Show, which mm. is obviously a national show, it's on BBC One, do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's, and it's like, you always just look so calm, mm. so chilled, like your delivery is, is really kind of eloquent and you, you're such a good communicator. How do you, Thank you. manage to just stay here? Because sometimes my presenter coach is sat in the room here now. She yeah. says, Scott, sometimes you come up here too much. Yeah. You're too excited. Like, just bring it down. Whereas you, you're just like, yeah, it's like, okay. Like, yeah, where does yeah. that come from? That level of confidence? Do you think it's just from practice or? A lot of it's practice. Mm. Um, cameras have never bothered me. Really? Never. Even like interviews when I was young. One of the best things we had when I was at Forest is that they, they, they had this guy used to come and do some media training every now and again. And he'd mm. stick you in front of one of these lenses in front of the whole team. Mm. And he'd like chuck you an apple. And you go, right, Jermaine, I'm just going to set my watch for a minute. Talk to me about that apple. And you'd be there in front of the whole team. And you'd be like, uh, well, it's green, grows on trees. Uh, you can get them in red. It's golden delicious. And he'd just be like, that's 10 seconds. Keep going. Keep talking. Keep talking. Ah, so and you had training from, from even before punditry. Before I knew, really. If yeah. you, it's weird in that team. If you look at, like, David Prutton presents on Sky Sports. Mm. Michael Dawson's on Sky Sports now doing punditry. You've got me doing what I do. We all were in the same team at mm. Forest as kids. And I don't know if it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence. Like we were, our manager was very forward thinking. He was in um, uh, like sports psychologists he would bring in. He was very mm. like open-minded, Paul Hart it was. He, was. he was incredible in terms of like, he knew some of the building blocks that we were gonna need in the future just to, to create good young men, I think more than anything. Um, but like my first match of the day is probably the most nervous to date I've ever been on television. And, you know, I've got Lineker in front of me, I've watched for years and it's match of the day, music comes on, da, 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 and you're like, oh my word. <laughs> and my heart is going crazy. But you've played in front of thousands of people. Like. It's just different, yeah. it's just different. My heart's going mental, my feet are going mad and like, one of the things people kept saying to me afterwards, it was about that, um, you know, that image of like a duck over water type thing. That's what we just talked about before. Yeah, and that's, that. that people kept saying to me, I know you are nervous, but you don't look it. Mm. You do not look nervous at all. And I think it's obviously something I've developed over a course of time. Um, and also on things like the one show, one of the biggest things that's helped me on that, as, along with some really good people behind the scenes helping develop me is, just little tiny things, like I wear my trainers. Like I wear what I want to wear on that show now. And there was a time where 
early, I might wear a pair of shoes and I'd like knitwear and this, that, and the other. Cause I'd be thinking, well, this is what they do on the one show. Yeah. And I'd be sat there thinking, I don't dress like this. Yeah. And I don't feel comfortable. Whereas now I'm like tats out, yeah. you know, whatever, my, my jewelry, my Jordans. And that's what makes me feel, it's like my superpower. Mm. I sit and I feel comfortable now because I'm dressed how, Jermaine Genus dresses rather than how you want me to dress. So yeah. I, I feel happy. But I think that's the powers in this kind of new age of media now, especially through the likes of TikTok and everything else. People don't want polished like no. versions of people. They want true, authentic yeah. um, people who can express themselves as they are. What's the point? Like we've done it for too long, I think. When I, when I very first came onto the match of the day, mm. I remember like arguing with people saying, I'm not wearing shoes. I don't wear shoes. Like, why are you making me wear shoes? And a tie and a shirt and like a pair of trousers. I've never wore that in my life. And they're like, well, that's what you're doing, Match of the Day. And I'm like, I, people don't want to see this. Mm. And, and like, over the course of time, you watch Match of the Day now, Gary's sat there in a <laughs> pair of trainers. Do you know what? It's so funny today. I thought, what should I wear today? I almost went a bit Match of the Day traditional vibes. But, like, <laughs> but, I thought, but I thought, he wears his trainers. I thought, I wear my trainers. Yeah. But, but I actually was going to wear my dunks and yeah. that. And I thought, do I wear dunks? I don't really wear dunks. <laughs> but I thought it was your vibes. It's so <laughs> funny because I was like, I've got a bit of a half and half. But this yeah. is like where you got to like be when it comes to presenting and hosting is do what makes you feel yeah. comfortable. And w you don't know it, but you have got this thing that makes other people feel comfortable. Mm. That's why I'm here today. Mm. Like, I, I'm not here because like, I don't do pods really. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, do I them, you know what I mean? And like, I'm here because I, I, I like, you had something that made me go, he's operating in a space that I like just mm. physically. Like mm. there's something about what you're giving off that makes me like, yeah, be mm. around a person like that. Mm. So yeah, why not give it a go type thing? So like, just don't lose that. Yeah, and no, I appreciate And obviously that. listen to what it's your, your coach has got to yo, say it's as funny. well. <laughs> people, people say, um, come on and go, you're quite a good listener, but anyone who's around me most of the time be like, is it? Um, but, but this is teaching me how to be you have to. a good listener. But one last question I've got for you as well, because we could talk for hours and I've, could, really, yeah. I've really enjoyed every moment. Um, is you talk about your wife a lot and obviously your family and I'm a single guy. Yeah. Um, I live quite a, I would say a lonely life. I've got a dog, by the way. I've got a, a dog. Yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, got, yeah, you got, got a rotty. You got a rotty, yeah. A little puggle, yeah. Um, but then there's part of me over, over the years where I've, I've always thought, right, I need to get to a certain point before I find um, a good woman because it's almost like I want to have that security and everything else. But it sounds like you've, your wife has been with you through some of your darkest moments has almost helped yeah. you get to where you are. So uh, the question I've got is, do you feel like your wife has played a massive part in, in keeping you stable and getting you to where you yeah. are? So me, me and my wife have a running joke um, in my house, which is along the lines of, she always says to me, God, I really caught the shit part of your career, didn't I? <laughs> It's like, I met her and it just went, it just nosedived. I mean, I'm, I literally, when we very first started dating, I was playing for England and I remember being away at the Grove Hotel and uh, she was going out and I told this story recently on Michael McIntyre and got slightly attacked. People calling me possessive out of nowhere, weirdly. But anyway, it, I was just like, right, you're, you are who I want to be with. Do you know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. Knock it down the line, get married, kids, that and the other. And she was there for the worst parts of my career. Every single injury, all the, all the injections. When I ruptured my Achilles, she's in the stand at Villa. She's had to run down to the tunnel and make sure I'm okay. I remember getting knocked out at Tottenham and she's by my side. Um, yeah, all, all of the, the bad stuff. I, I And there's something beautiful in that though. Of course, yeah. I saw a meme or something the other day when saying, when you're on your way up is when 
Mm. Oh, I can't. Do you understand what I mean? I know exactly what you're what you're getting at there, and then and can obviously the whole line. You attract you... the right woman when you when you've got nothing. Yeah, or something along those lines. You know I know what, what you at? mean, but like to give you some comfort, you know, when I met my wife, I had a Ferrari mm. and I have you know a nice yeah. big house that I lived in, yeah, and yeah. I had money. You know, yeah, of course. it's not like she but looked it's more at me. Mental. Yeah, for me, it was just like I. It was it was going. My career was struggling a little bit. I had more issues going yeah, off yeah. in my life. I I just think, do you? And what will come along at the right time will come along at the right time. I didn't want to meet my wife. I'll be honest with you. I'd just come out of a long-term relationship. I was ready to party. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I was ready to fully party. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I sat on a sofa in a club and I, tur I turned around like this and she was there, like on the table behind me. And it was like, what the, that, who is this? Do you know what I mean? It was one of those moments. And we got speaking throughout the night. Uh, six months later, it was that, you know, we exchanged numbers and I eventually kind of, took her out on a date and everything, but it was like, so from that moment, which was in September, asked her to marry me in the June. I didn't want to meet her at that particular time, but for some reason, it's like somebody was like, you need this right now. Mm. And I always find that those, that's how it happens. Mm. Whenever that moment comes and it's supposed to be for you, I but think how, you how, gotta rely on how that. How did you know that she was the one you got to spend the rest of your life with? That's a question I've got for you. I'll be honest, initially it was just beauty. Like I'm not, like, I'm not just going to sit here and yeah. lie. She's a gorgeous woman. Um, and then it was a family, I think. She's a proper family woman. Mm -hmm. Like a sister and a brother and a mum and dad. They are so tight and so close. Mum and dad are still together. Um, me and her dad are like proper best mates almost. You know what I mean? And I liked that. I liked that feeling that in her mind, I remember meeting her and she'd always spoke about I want like three to four kids and it was important to her family, mm. more important in a weird way than it was for me. I came from like a broken home and didn't really understand family. I wasn't like raised by a man and on how to be a man or my mom raised me. My mom did all the work. So it was the family element. My family was quite disjointed mm. and maybe I've always craved that just home. Yeah. And she just oozed it. She just oozed this aura of like safety and like love and like her ability to raise our kids is out of this world. And if, if there's anybody listening that was on the flight back for us from Dubai the other day with the crazy kid that was screaming, <laughs> you'll have a fully good understanding of yeah. how good she is because um, yeah, she's just got the patience of a saint. But I just honestly think she just was there Right for time. me at the right time it's funny you say life. that as well because I, I love my mum to pieces but she wasn't like an overly motherly mum yeah. so I've literally got about three different second mums in my life now yeah. uh, who kind of because it's like I almost crave that Yeah. Um, and I think in a way I'm almost looking for that little bit of a, that motherly kind of element from whoever I end up with as well but you, you uh, I know like we're finishing off but you think about what you've got going off in your life right now, right? And mm. talk about spinning plates at the, the, mm. the top of this show. Maybe you're not in a position to give what you need to give to this woman that you want to magically appear. Yeah, and I think, and, yeah. And, and, and she might be looking at it going, there's just too much going on in this guy's life. Like you'll, you'll eventually get to a point where that person's gonna appear and they'll appear for a reason because you are more settled, yeah. have more time it's, to do what you're gonna need to do in a family. It's weird because I've got a vision board and my business coach goes, where's your, wife and kids are now, if I'm honest, I said, it's not my priority right now. There you go. And that's just me being honest. Yeah. I want it to be, I get it, it makes sense that yeah. it should be there, but 
I've got a massive office in, um, like, do you know what I mean? A, a futuristic office. I've got like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's Bentley on there. And, do you know what I mean? And, and I know there's a lot of it's materialistic and I've got stuff with my dogs on there Nothing and stuff like that. that. And that, so I do have some like, and then like holidays and everything yeah. else on there. Nothing but wrong with that. But that's not actually not there yet. And I think that's because I'm probably not ready to give th yeah. that part of me yet. You won't be. Uh, mm. And, you and that's okay. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're, again, like from being football and it being crazy, to coming back down to kind of like the real world has been a really nice experience. And when, when I sit here and say the real world, I bet people might be going, oh, Jermaine, you're not in the real world. And I totally understand what they're saying. But from being like professional footballer and living in that bubble of life, mm. you, you know, I'm as close as, I'm, you know, as, as I'm likely to get. But one of the great experiences of it is, you know, being able to kind of like talk to people and have a, a, a better understanding, actually being a more um, like neutral person. Mm rather than have the highs and lows, the highs and lows and bouncing all over the place. It's quite nice to just be like, uh, you know. Relatable. I, I think so. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I feel quite like calm in my life and quite like peaceful right now. And I think if, you, if you've got that, you're very, very, you're, you're rich basically. Aren't Give you? me some of that, bro. Give me you're some rich. of that. Um, <laughs> listen, Jermaine, honestly, mate, it's been everything I thought it was going to be on this podcast, so. man. Like literally, I just knew that you had all these layers to you. And yeah. I'm so glad that we get to share that with so many other people. No, yeah, thank you. For I, I look me. up to you on so many different levels. Business now, punditry, presenting, Appreciate um, it, family one day, yeah, uh, yeah. just everything, mate. So thank you so much for being on. Well, we're friends now, and I'm sure we'll always keep in touch, mate. I love so it. Thank you Legend. For your time. Thank you so much, man. No, Tommy, thank that you. Was great <laughs> I'm just going to say it. That lived up to every expectation that I had about that podcast because I feel like people know Jermaine in one retrospect, but there's so many different layers to him. And today he gave us so much. And he's someone that I personally look up to. I don't know if it's because he's achieved a lot of the things that I want to achieve, like business, presenting, family. He's just a great role model and he gave us so much today. So I want to say a massive thank you to Jermaine. And I want to say thank you to you as well. First of all, to anyone who signed up to do the British Triathlon Race, like it means so much that we're going to be doing it together. And secondly, to everybody who keeps supporting this podcast, like, it really does make me happy. This is my happy place and everybody keeps following, subscribing. It really does make a difference. So thank you so much. And trust me, we're going to be back next week with another phenomenal guest. So sit back and get ready next week for another life lesson with learning as I go. This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts.